I think people want to believe that there's a lot of money behind this stuff and think that there's people kind of pulling the strings. But in reality, I mean, anyone who has a cell phone nowadays has the ability to reach millions of people under the right circumstances. And that's kind of what you're seeing here is a lot of this stuff is self-organizing. Hey everyone, Stephen Maguziak here, and this is Sources by Press Progress. We are a proud member of the Harbinger Media Network. Today, Press Progress editor Luke LeBron joins me for a back-to-school episode of Sorts. A new right-wing campaign has been popping up in Facebook groups across Canada, and it's already showing signs of spinning out of control. On the heels of the QAnon-adjacent movie The Sound of Freedom, the group is planning million-man marches and even a convoy to shut down the city of Toronto. They're calling it Save the Children, which raises a bunch of questions. Questions like, what'll come of this, who's leading the charge, and what exactly are these children being saved from? Gotta say, it seems unlikely that there would be another convoy, like anything that we saw in Ottawa. And to no one's surprise, this group is motivated by conspiracies about government child abduction plots and indoctrination in schools. As Press Progress reported recently, this does mark a potential escalation in the various demonstrations and anti-LGBT protests that have been happening in recent months. Luke, thanks for joining. Good to be with you as always, Stephen. And so we're here to talk about the Save the Children convoy. And it's my understanding that there is a, quote, multitude of things that we could be saving them from. So to begin, let's just set the stage a little bit. What is the Save the Children convoy? Yeah, so this is kind of just popped up almost out of the blue, actually, in about the last month or so. Yeah, so basically in the last number of weeks, we've started to hear a lot of, I guess you could say, online chatter from sort of far right groups that are associated with the convoys of a year ago. They're all talking about something that they're calling the Save the Children Convoy. And at this stage, it's still pretty early days, but generally speaking, the plan is to go to Toronto in either late August or early September. It's not entirely clear why they want to go there or what they're planning to do once they arrive. It's not clear if they are planning to camp out in the streets in their vehicles or if they are planning to stay in hotels or if they're planning to stay in an RV park. They haven't really figured out any of these details, but the idea is that people from the West and from the East of Canada are all going to converge on Toronto to stage a big demonstration about saving the children. So to your question, what does save the children mean? That is a very good question. And even the lead organizers seem to have trouble answering that question. I talked to one of the lead organizers, a guy by the name of Gordon Berry, in my article. And when I put that question to him, he said, you know, well, there are a multitude of things that you could be saving children from. One of the things is sort of this vague conspiracy that there are child trafficking rings out there that are basically abducting children and doing terrible things to them. Another part of it is sort of linked to this wave of anti-LGBTQ protests that have been targeting schools, uh, school boards, also things like drag story time events over the last six months or so. And another element of it, too, is a movie that came out this summer called The Sound of Freedom, which is sort of an action movie. It was produced by this studio, an evangelical movie studio based in Utah that kind of crowdfunds 
money from their viewers. And, you know, it's an action movie about a guy who saves children from trafficking rings, but it does have a lot of themes that have been pointed out that these themes are very adjacent to stuff that you would hear from QAnon and other kinds of conspiratorial uh, narratives like that. So what you're seeing right now is kind of this convergence of all these different conspiratorial narratives and conspiracy groups that are all rallying behind this slogan of save the children. So it sounds like it's just absolutely all over the place in terms of what the children are being saved from. Uh, Children are, I guess, currently beset from all sides, including the schools. So I guess this is a bit of a back to school episode. Yeah, and it's no surprise either that it seems like all this uh, all this stuff is sort of coinciding with the uh, the beginning of the school year. Yeah, and we've we've seen them target school boards and schools themselves, going after school libraries for unfounded claims that school libraries are distributing like pornographic material and whatnot. Schools seem to feature very heavily into the conspiracy theory that's driving a lot of this. But it kind of seems like what's really sparking this is that film you were talking about which we're going to get into a little bit later but would you say it's fair to say that the movie itself is actually one of the catalysts for this i would say it's loosely inspired by the sound of freedom movie i mean some of the organizers themselves have denied you know that they were just sort of copying this movie and and just sort of jumping on the bandwagon but it is undeniable that this movie is pretty popular amongst their audience and amongst some of the sort of convoy supporters and it is definitely contributing to a lot of interest in this kind of narrative and sort of themes basically yeah we'll talk about the movie a little bit but first i just want to know like what exactly are they planning to do so we have a convoy to toronto specifically are they centering on toronto or are there other cities kind of on the list No, it's all in Toronto. I mean, so they're holding right now secret in-person meetings. They don't want to do this stuff online. They don't want to do it over Zoom or places where it could get infiltrated, I suppose. So they're having these secret in-person meetings. To the best that I can tell, there are currently meetings that are happening in Nova Scotia, in Alberta, and also in Ontario. And there may be more in addition to that. But right now, that's kind of the gist of it. And they're calling it the East meets West Save the Children Convoy. And so the idea is that, uh, you know, they're going to start in either coast and meet somewhere in the middle. And I guess Toronto just seemed like a, you know, a place that's generally in the middle of Canada. Fair enough. So you're saying this is consisting of a lot of in-person meetings happening across the country. And do we have any indication of what they're actually talking about at these meetings? Are they talking about like porta potties and accommodations or does it go beyond that? Yeah, so definitely there have been, uh, they they have mentioned that they're discussing kind of logistical issues. Uh, so one would assume that that would involve things like food and gas and potentially things like lodging and where they're going to sleep and what have you. But we're also getting a sense too that some people who are present at these meetings are planning some things that are a little more uh, disturbing. So for one example, you may recall a few weeks ago in Belleville, Ontario, there was an angry mob that sort of swarmed uh, Justin Trudeau at a photo op that he was having. So actually the ringleader of that whole mob, he actually put out a video where he was pretty explicit that he was disavowing this whole Save the Children convoy. He was warning everyone that this is, you know, it seems like there's some nefarious characters who are planning things that could cross the line into criminal activity. He actually used the phrase terrorism. And if you listen to what he describes, he's basically saying that some people at these in-person meetings are suggesting that maybe they might try to place 
politicians or even law enforcement officers under citizen's arrest. So it seems like probably they're talking about people who they think are responsible for, uh, you know, harming the children. The idea is that they would somehow detain them or, uh, you know, round them up or do something of that nature. Interesting. So we're already seeing signs that paranoia is starting to become a factor in all of this, even like within themselves. Yeah. And in fact, this person who, who made these allegations, you know, he also adds that he thinks that there are police who have already infiltrated these in-person meetings. And he suggested that they are some undercover police or whomever are floating these ideas and trying to entrap people and get them to basically say publicly that they support, you know, terrorist or criminal activities so that they can be arrested on conspiracy to commit charges, basically. So there is a lot of paranoia. And they, they it seems like, you know, I mean, even the idea of holding these secret meetings in the first place does sort of speak to that mindset. The paranoia, I mean, we can get into this a little bit later as well, but I mean, the paranoia may not be entirely unfounded. I, we know that they've got the eye of law enforcement. If they're holding these secret meetings, it kind of does stand to reason that someone's probably keeping an eye on them, which might explain some of the uh, Fed jacketing that we're seeing happening in the movement. But before we talk about that, let's talk about, I guess I want to know a little bit more about who the main organizers are. I mean, you've identified two. This Gordon Berry fellow interviewed in your article, as well as his Elliot McDavid character. So what can you tell us about, let's start with Gordon. Who is Gordon Berry? Yeah, so Gordon Berry, uh, he's based in Nova Scotia. He ran provincially for a, uh, basically this ultra libertarian populist party called the Atlantica Party. He sort of emerged as one of the lead organizers of the Save the Children convoy. You know, essentially, he's filming these live stream videos of himself where he, you know, basically expresses the goals of the convoy and the uh, sort of explains some of their plans. So he's acting as a bit of a spokesperson. I mean, he he himself denies that he is a leader, but he is clearly a voice who's speaking on behalf of the organizers. He's shared some stuff, like some pretty far out there stuff. Like he claims that the World Health Organization and the United Nations are involved in some kind of conspiracy to promote pedophilia in Canadian elementary schools. When I spoke to him, he actually, I didn't include this in the article, but he did go on to share his theory that the recent floods in Nova Scotia were actually geoengineered by the federal government as a way to put out wildfires. So that's a belief he has. As we're recording this, uh, Yellowknife is currently being evacuated due to wildfires. And yeah, it's sadly become pretty standard fare for right-wing conspiracy theory that there's some sort of weather control plot happening that's causing all of this, or just deliberate act of arson by Antifa or whatever. So it, like, it almost sounds like he's just subscribing to fairly boilerplate, far-right conspiratorial stuff. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, I have to say from talking to him, he doesn't seem like a particularly uh, malicious character. It does seem like he consumes a lot of just really far out there kind of content, I guess, online. But, you know, he, he has some beliefs that are kind of divorced from reality. But, uh, you know, he's also promoting these ideas to to many, many more people. Yeah, so Gordon Berry's one of the main organizers. The other big voice, I'd say, uh, who's speaking on behalf of this movement is someone by the name of Elliot McDavid. He is based in Grand Prairie, Alberta. People may actually recall about a year ago, uh, there was a, a man who confronted very aggressively 
Krista Freeland, when she was visiting Alberta, there was a viral video showing this guy basically chasing her around a building and into a, an elevator. And it was kind of a disturbing video. Anyway, so Ellie McDavid is the guy who was chasing Krista Freeland around this building. So McDavid has been putting out videos as well, especially on TikTok. I mean, just to give you a sense of the reach of of this stuff, I mean, he has one TikTok video talking about the Save the Children convoy that has nearly 300,000 views right now on TikTok. Which is impressive. I mean, even if you consider that, like, okay, let's say like half or 60% of those are like just bots or fake traffic. That's still a pretty impressive number. Yeah. And he's saying some like pretty extreme stuff too. You know, he talks about how he has this belief that the government of Alberta is involved in this child trafficking conspiracy. He claims that Alberta's child protective services are basically abducting children uh, and are involved in grooming them for, you know, some really disturbing things. He basically claims that they're like kidnapping children and they're being thrown into rail cars. He says that children are being tortured and hunted down like animals it's uh you know like the intensity too of of how he talks about this stuff is kind of disturbing i agree um but uh, also one thing that strikes me about both these individuals is that neither of them seem particularly special like they kind of just are regular dudes who happen to have pretty large followers on social media but otherwise they're not prophets messiahs or like cult leaders or revolutionaries they're just guys with platforms on social media who seem to be following, like finding themselves in positions of leadership within all of this is that more or less accurate yeah that's right and that's actually a big characteristic of this entire movement i mean i think people want to believe that there's a lot of money behind this stuff and think that there's people kind of pulling the strings but in reality i mean anyone who has a cell phone nowadays has the ability to reach millions of people under the right circumstances and that's kind of what you're seeing here is a lot of this stuff is self-organizing very organically especially within private facebook groups also to some extent like on telegram which is another social media platform you know sometimes through encrypted chat apps or like things like whatsapp but you know to be honest i, I think that a facebook groups are actually the biggest driver of this kind of stuff yeah same as it like, has been for quite a few years i mean a lot of it has moved to telegram but i mean just from what i'm noticing telegram just seems to be kind of the more diehards smaller collectives i mean some of those telegram groups can get pretty big but it does kind of seem like facebook remains the main hub to get the average like rank and file uh, people to come out to these sorts of protests so I guess I'm wondering, where is this all coming from? Is this an outgrowth of the anti-LGBTQ protests that we saw happening throughout the summer? Like the anti-Pride protests, the anti-Rainbow Crosswalk protests. Is it the same people? And is this just like a natural extension of that? Yes, it's definitely a lot of the same people who are behind that who are now getting involved in this sort of stuff. That being said, I mean, even if you go back a couple of years, you know, you will tend to see a lot of the same networks and a lot of the same people kind of drifting from one conspiracy of the week or, you know, one sort of issue that they all kind of rally behind. And then they move on from that to another thing. And it, it has evolved over the years. I mean, you can draw a pretty straight line between the 
protests, the sort of Islamophobic protests against uh, a motion that was brought forward in the House of Commons back, I think, in 2017, M103, which was a motion condemning uh, systemic racism and Islamophobia. You can draw a pretty straight line between that to the evolution into the Yellow Vest movement. And then after that, uh, when the pandemic hit, you know, it evolved into the anti-lockdown movement and then the anti-vaccine movement once the vaccine started rolling out. And then eventually a freedom convoy in January of 2022. And then since the pandemic has kind of receded, you're now seeing a lot of the same people and a lot of the same networks who for the last three years have been really focused on pandemic related themes kind of bambling around looking for a new thing to rail against or a new enemy and they've settled on lgbtq type issues so you've seen in just the last six months especially just this really intense focus on drag story time school curricula promoting lgbtq acceptance and diversity there were protests actually targeting schools in ottawa you know, by these anti-trans activists. So you've sort of seen this stuff evolve and it's kind of gone from that to now this sort of generic slogan about saving the children. That's one evolution that I think you can clearly notice if you've been tracking this stuff since like, oh, say 2015. Back then it was a lot of immigration stuff. It was Syria, Islamophobic M103 stuff. But lately the focus has been about like righteous anger, based on baseless allegations about children being trafficked or groomed or victimized and that sort of way to kind of create a sort of righteous anger that'll galvanize these people, which makes me wonder like what role this Sound of Freedom movie has in maybe, I guess the word is escalating this to create this Save the Children convoy and all these planning groups that are popping out of the woodwork. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. So first of all, the the Sound of Freedom movie was put out by Angel Studios and, you know, it's based in Utah, focuses on, you know, producing kind of evangelical movies and, you know, movies that they believe that the, you know, mainstream Hollywood studios would never touch. But they're actually crowdfunding these movies and, and you know, basically it's a bunch of evangelicals who are getting together and funding the production of these films. And to some extent, you know, I think this stuff is kind of emerging out of the sort of far-right discourse online so you know it's it's not as if the sound of freedom movie is creating it in some ways the sound of freedom movie is emerging from you know these kinds of conversations that are happening in these private facebook groups and other kind of corners of the internet i just want to disclose that neither of us have actually seen the film um but we kind of get the gist <laughs> jim caviezel crowdfunded by a evangelical studio uh, you, you get the idea we more or less understand what's happening here with this movie creating this narrative about networks of uh, child trafficking that's kind of useful to the QAnon conspiracy theory also stars Jim Caviezel, who is an unabashed QAnon guy. And so we have the Save the Children Convoy. It's acting as this sort of catch-all for numerous conspiracy theories with QAnon-adjacent themes. What are some of the themes that we're seeing come up in these Facebook groups? Yeah, so if you look in, you know, in any of these groups, I mean, it's very similar, uh, whether it's kind of anti-vaccine groups or the anti-lockdown groups at the start of the pandemic or during the Freedom Convoy. It's kind of this all-you-can-eat buffet of conspiracies and just weird kind of subjects, uh, stuff about like the United Nations often comes up, the uh, World Health Organization, the World Economic Forum, lots of paranoia about these 
global or uh, international kinds of organizations that are, you know, basically kind of infringing on Canadian sovereignty right. and imposing it's this idea that all these, you know, foreign values are being imposed on them from an external nefarious force, right? And somehow climate change measures come into it. If I'm not wrong, 15 minute cities are also coming up here. Yeah, that's right. I mean, this stuff goes back like quite some way. I mean, they they talk about like the United Nations Agenda 21. Uh, basically, they think most sustainability and environmental policies are like this uh, Trojan horse to, you know, for these like international puppet masters to come into Canada and remake things in their image. So that's like a very common narrative that you'll hear. And it, you know, manifests itself in different kinds of stories. And correct me if I'm wrong, like Gordon Berry himself thinks that the Nova Scotia floods were caused by geoengineered storms designed to put out wildfires, that sort of thing, right? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you can connect those kinds of explanations about what is causing these extreme weather events. I mean, you can draw a pretty clear line between that and, you know, some conspiracies that go back like 30 years, at least to this idea of the, uh, the UN and the New World Order trying to, you know, take over and impose this, like one world government, basically. Right. So it's almost like a Katamari ball. Sorry, that's a video game reference you might not get, but like a snowball, essentially, where just like more and more conspiracy theories just keep on accumulating as the ball rolls. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger, just absorbing every single conspiracy theory that's ever existed on the right. And uh, it's taking us to this point, but it, it seems unlikely that what's going to happen in Toronto is actually going to be anything like what we saw in Ottawa. So how seriously should we be taking these groups? Yeah, I mean, that's a fair question. I mean, on one hand, I find it quite unlikely that you will see authorities allow something like the occupation of Ottawa happen again, uh, just, just because of how disruptive the first one was, and no one wants to get into that situation again. I mean, also, just in terms of the sheer size, uh, geographically and population-wise of Toronto, hard to imagine something quite the same as what happened in Ottawa happening there. Right. That being said, I think that there are reasons to take this stuff seriously. I mean, I think if any lesson to take from the uh, occupation of Ottawa, it's that. I mean, no one saw that coming until a few weeks beforehand, right? It just kind of came up out of nowhere. It had a spontaneity. That's what made it dangerous, like in Ottawa's case. This doesn't have that spontaneity to make it quite as likely to disrupt in the way that Ottawa did. I mean, I, I think this is quite spontaneous. I mean, it's all happening quite organically. It's a lot of self-organizing and, you know, just these influencers just kind of hosting stuff and sort of building up momentum for something. You're already actually starting to see some additional sort of spin-off kinds of events. So in addition to this idea of having a convoy to Toronto, people are now talking about uh, holding these million man marches in various cities around Canada to protest uh, basically uh, I guess, kind of like the indoctrination of children in general. You're also seeing two of the ringleaders of that anti-trans protest targeting the schools in Ottawa back in June. They're actually now planning to hold protests targeting two schools in Toronto in uh, late September. So certainly you can see how this stuff is starting to take on a bit of a life of its own. And you're seeing a lot of building up of momentum towards something kind of happening in September to coincide with the beginning of the school year. 
Yeah. So whether or not this convoy itself, you know, actually turns into this thing that looks similar to what happened in Ottawa in January of 2022, I mean, I guess that remains to be seen. But you know, it's it's always possible for this kind of stuff to inspire people to do things that might lead to harm being done to people in communities. Right. Like it marks an escalation in the rhetoric. Like it sounds completely ridiculous, but these are people who really believe that what they're seeing is. Yeah, a mass wave of child trafficking and grooming and whatnot. And so if you see the world this way, any action you take against it is going to be justified. And there is significant danger in that. Absolutely. I mean, we've seen examples of it. Yeah, I mean, this is a point that uh, Kurt Phillips from the uh, Canadian Anti-Hate Network made in the article that we put out. He makes the point that, you know, a lot of these people who are you know, the audience or the supporters of this convoy, many of them are just kind of people who've been uh, sucked down rabbit holes during the pandemic, and they've kind of gotten into these conspiracies pretty deep, despite the fact that you might, there might be reason to have some sympathy for, for some of the, uh, you know, the followers, I guess you could say, you know, when you have people who truly fervently believe that someone is going after children, and, you know, they've basically concluded that, any means is justified to stop them. I mean, you can only imagine, uh, you know, the potential for people getting hurt. For example, if you remember the whole Pizzagate conspiracy from, I guess it would have been 2016, you know, this idea that there was this child trafficking ring being run out of a pizzeria in in Washington, D.C. People talking about that online basically, basically incited a guy to show up one day with an AR-15 and, uh, you know, basically storm into the restaurant trying to liberate these children only to discover that the pizzeria didn't even have a basement, for one thing. And also that there were no children being held captive in there, right? So you can see where this kind of rhetoric can lead you. So if you're to describe who these people are, like, describe this movement. I mean, it's not a monolith. There's different types of people making up what we're seeing here. So, I mean, if you were to give a snapshot of what Canadians are actually comprising this convoy who are the kinds of people involved who are the figures what's the average like personality type yeah that's a really important point uh i mean i think it's really important not to paint everyone with the same brush here because uh you know a lot of people are coming to these narratives for totally different reasons i would say like very very broadly there are probably three different kinds of segments or groups within this conspiratorial movement so you know on one level you have people who are basically kind of the the followers or the audience the people who are consuming these videos and these memes and these things that are showing up in private uh, facebook groups yeah so like these could be thought of as like your aunts and uncles at thanksgiving they get really annoying but like <laughs> they are who they are or whatever right Right. Yeah. So, I mean, in some cases, some of these people might just be severely uh, misguided. In some cases, I mean, clearly there are some people who have legitimate mental health issues. Right. Or media literacy issues, too. Like, Sure. Yeah. I mean, it could be a whole bunch of things. But I mean, in fairness, like during the whole pandemic, there are a lot of people who ended up isolated. A lot of people who, uh, you know, spent all of their lockdown time watching kind of conspiratorial videos and, uh, you know, lacked any kind of social connections to sort of have a reality check on the information they were consuming. And so, you know, for whatever reason, you know, people may have arrived at these things, at these beliefs, you know, and they might not really be malicious or uh, have ill will behind them, but they just genuinely believe things that are just objectively not true. 
And then you have other people, right? So then you have people who are, you know, ideologues or uh, zealots, religious zealots who, you know, they have some kind of agenda, be it political, religious, ideological. And, you know, they are latching on to these conspiracies or these themes as they pop up and evolve over the years. And they try to steer it in directions. So they try to co-opt these movements and they try to co-opt these narratives to try to push their own personal, uh, you know, agendas, basically. And then the third segment of this group that's really important to keep an eye on are the people who are basically online hucksters and online grifters and you know social media influencers people who are filming hour-long videos of themselves and then at the end of these videos asking people to donate to them or you know starting up some kind of an initiative and then asking people to help fund it people who are uh, creating groups and then they make uh, merchandise they make t-shirts and hats with their logos on it and they're you know trying to uh, cash in on whatever the uh, movement happens to be fixated on on any given day so you know there's three different kinds of segments and they all have different motives and i think that's the key thing to understand is that not everyone has the same motive but then also you're having this dynamic where some people are motivated by their own financial gain other people are motivated by these ideological objectives and then other people are just for whatever reason misguided and then you kind of put all those people in the same room and have them talk and share ideas with one another and then you just get this thing that's just completely unhinged at the end of the day yeah no i think you've absolutely nailed it there i mean i think just about anyone listening to this probably identifies with the first group has a family member or someone like that who became maybe a little bit red-pilled or like into the conspiracy-pilled side of things during the pandemic and these can often be like beloved aunts and uncles or whatever um it was a confusing time the pandemic just sort of had that effect but then we have these other two groups that are kind of more deliberate and nefarious in like what they're doing. This second group that you describe, the one that has agendas, we saw them pop up a little bit during the convoy, right? During the Ottawa convoy, we had all these groups coming out of the woodwork trying to actually hijack the convoy. And we did see evidence of this during the uh, Emergency Act inquiry. That's a great example, right? Because you'll recall that, you know, the Freedom Convoy basically started on TikTok with a couple of viral videos. And then the people who made those videos started talking to each other in direct messages. And then, you know, once people started to notice that this thing was catching on and was, you know, building momentum, getting a lot of, importantly, once it started collecting a lot of crowdfunding money, you know, then you start having these other groups realize it's something, there was something hot here. So they tried to sink their talons into this themselves, right? So you had a group like Taking Back Our Freedoms and the, uh, the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms who like kind of moved in and elbowed in and in some cases elbowed out some of the main uh, original organizers. And, you know, in some cases, I mean, the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms started acting as the convoy's uh, spokesperson, taking back our freedoms, started trying to get involved with the money and how the money was being spent. And both those groups, I mean, they explicitly have a political agenda. Another part of this, too, I mean, it's hard not to acknowledge the role of, you know, pretty extreme evangelical groups, groups that are basically Christian nationalists. And I mean, they also have this ideological agenda that they're pursuing through many of these kinds of protests. Yeah, no, like we have taken back our freedoms, which has a strong evangelical, I would say anti-government Christian nationalist kind of tinge to it, if that's not 
kind of the basis of the organization. We even have, yeah, the Sound of Freedom organized by this kind of evangelical Christian studio based out of Provo, Utah. Like these groups did come out of the woodwork to kind of insert themselves in what was a popular movement at the time. What do they gain? Like what agenda gets advanced by aligning themselves with this? The motives are obvious enough with like the third group you mentioned, the influencers. They want clicks, clout sharks, whatnot. They're a little bit more straightforward, but like what grander political agenda does this serve with the second group in particular? Yeah, that's a good question. Certainly, I think many of them are just looking for ways to, you know, ways to stay relevant. Uh, so, you know, like every six months, every year, their base, if you will, is going to be angry about something different. So they're always looking for ways to stay relevant and stay current uh, with what everyone's talking about at any given moment. But beyond that, too, I mean, I think there's also an element of it goes back to just co-opting these movements, right? So they see that something's getting a lot of energy and then they just try to take over it and then steer it in a direction that basically advances whatever their interest is. And in some cases, I mean, these groups are quite extreme, quite small, you know, so I think they see this as a way to, you know, basically just hijack something that's much larger than them and then use it to advance their own ends. Uh, like, I mean, the other thing, too, is, I mean, even these religious groups, even within the context of Christianity, they are quite extreme. You know, these are by no means mainstream Christian denominations. Yeah, I think it's important to point out these are like small groups of people that are just extremely well resourced and positioned to kind of insert themselves in the middle of all of this whenever wherever it happens, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if it's not this, I mean, even with uh, things like anti-abortion activism, I mean, for a very long time, you can look at how these people spend quite a bit of time trying to strategize how they can basically change the culture and try to, you know, change the course of uh, change the course of the political conversation uh, to help advance their interests. So let's talk a little bit about the third group, because I have to admit, I, I find it personally very funny how how the paranoia plays out within this third group, the influencers and the cloud sharks. Like we, we can observe this trend happening on the right now as this movement, I think, gets into, I, I would say, sort of a middle stage where they're all starting to fed jack at each other. Like they're all starting to accuse each other of being psyops or snitches. <laughs> And we've seen this with a lot of the influencers. We've seen it happen with Pat King, with Chris Skye, as well as Jeremy McKenzie with Diagalon. Like I've seen, I could probably think of more examples off the top of my head, but just you get the idea. Like there's accusations flying around that these people are actually psyops, bad actors, government agents kind of out to just disrupt this movement. What are your thoughts on that? You see a lot of infighting amongst these groups. And I think it really comes down to the fact that there's kind of economic forces at play. I'd actually be really interested in hearing a, an economist kind of do an analysis of the far-right influencer blogosphere or whatever, because there are like dozens and dozens of these people who are all competing with one another for a finite number of eyeballs and donation money, right? So in some cases, you basically see these people start spreading rumors about one another, or they start fights with one another. They're always doing things, you know, staging things for publicity, staging things for attention, you know, making very inflammatory comments, just and it's all about this sort of attention economy, and just keeping and holding the attention of at the end of the day, there's probably, you know, maybe five, 10,000 people in all of Canada. I mean, we're a country of 40 million people. There's probably just about five, 10,000 
people maybe who watch these videos on a regular basis. So in some cases, you know, I think that these online beefs, this infighting amongst influencers within these far right spaces, it's really kind of a battle over like who can command the attention of that audience. Right. And so in some ways, it's kind of like a battle for clout a battle for for control of audience yeah no absolutely and I, I guess one thing i often wonder is to what extent are they right I, I don't think they're completely off base like being suspicious of one another i think that after ottawa they literally occupied the capital for like a month there's probably some rcmp intention on them there could be infiltrators there could be snitches do you think that their paranoia is founded I mean, to be honest, it's probably better to just leave them guessing, I suppose, because, <laughs> you know, it inspires some pretty interesting videos that they'll put out. It's not like it's without historical precedent. It's played out throughout history. It's just, I get the sense that for the first time, it's targeting the right. And they're just kind of waking up to this being a thing. Well, yeah, I mean, with the Emergencies Act inquiry, we saw uh, pretty clearly that, uh, I mean, for, I mean, first thing that the Emergencies Act inquiry highlighted was that they weren't paying very close attention to the far right, at least not as much as they should be. That being said, we also do know that they are monitoring the stuff that they're putting out online, right? So most of these people, especially the kind of influencers and the live streamers, they're filming themselves like 24 seven and like broadcasting every single thought that kind of comes crosses through their minds. Right. They have no OPSEC. Yeah. I mean, if there's any, if, there, if there's any issue, I think it might be that, you know, the police might not have enough officers to watch all their videos and process all the information that they're just freely broadcasting. Right. So I don't know that they really need to infiltrate their groups when they're just freely putting all this information out online for anyone to watch themselves. Right, fair enough. What is the current status of Save the Children? Like, are, they're still holding meetings. They're still planning to, I guess, show up in Toronto in late August, early September, right in time for school season. They're talking about staging million man marches. What's the latest, hottest detail? Have there been any developments since you published that piece? Well, it's devolving into infighting, as you mentioned. They seem to be trying to repair some of the divisions that have emerged in recent weeks they're still in the planning stage and trying to iron out those logistical details so we'll have to see if they actually do end up sending any uh, vehicles to toronto i think though it is interesting to note that there are these kind of you know spin-off events that are starting to pop up too so even if it turns out that the convoy ends up being a bit of a bust or even if ends up no one even shows up in toronto it does seem pretty likely that you'll see like a lot of the energy get diverted towards some of these other events that are being talked about right now right because the children are still in need of saving that's probably not going to change or maybe they'll just get distracted by the next thing whatever that ends up being luke thanks for joining <laughs> thanks so much steven that was press progress editor luke lebron Sources is edited by Eric Wickham. If you like what we do, check us out at pressprogress.ca and be sure to subscribe. Also, sign up for our labor newsletter, Shiftwork, for weekly updates on the latest labor news. I was your host, Stephen Maguziak. Thanks for tuning in.